And so all things are for his glory. And that comes down even to our families. So that now in this series we're in right now, we're talking about building families for his glory. So that even our families are to be for the glory of God. We've talked about how husbands are to love their wives and wives are to love their husbands. And that how that is a picture of Christ and the church. So that when people see us as individuals, but also us as married couples, uh, that should, it should point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. All things for his glory. And so we're looking now at this building families for his glory. And we've been talking about marriage for about three weeks. And this is the fourth uh, uh, the fourth sermon on marriage that we're going to look at today. Next week we'll shift a little bit to relationships, but today we're going to look at wise words about marriage. Wise words about marriage. And I will tell you that today's message is somewhat PG-13, all right? Uh, but it is the Word of God. Because today as we look at this particular passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 5, we see what we need to hear today, just as Solomon wrote the words then, needed to be heard then, needs to be heard now, uh, because it is God's word. You know, as we think about uh, sex and sexuality in our society, sex and sexuality is pervasive. Constantly, we're being pounded with a message all around us to just go ahead and have sex, do it whenever, however, with whomever you wish. I mean, you don't have to turn on the TV for very long before you see that or open any magazine, any Southern living or whatever it may be. Uh, it is always going to have these messages that are subtle but yet there in so many ways that, uh, about sex and sexuality that life is short, everybody's doing it, and you deserve the pleasure. Well, that's what culture tells us about sex and sexuality. But God's Word has a different message for us that we need to hear and that we need to understand. So last week, we looked at the virtuous wife, and this week, we look at the other woman. Well, but in reality, it could also be the other man. Because the principle that we find here in Proverbs chapter 5 really applies to both men and women. So let's take a look at Proverbs 5, can we? In honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you would please stand as I read the passage, and understand that we stand in honor and reverence to the Word of God because we believe that this is the Word of God. And so that it's, it's as if that if he, Jesus were standing himself, this would be his Word to, our, to us today. And so we want to hear what God's Word has to say to us from Proverbs 5. So let me read that for us today. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, How I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, 
Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his past. He, he, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man. He's caught in the cords of his sin, and he shall die for lack of instruction. And the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word and how, indeed, your word is powerful. It always points to Jesus, and it's practical. Father, we thank you that it is your word. No matter what the culture may say to us today, this is your word. And may we hear it and heed it today. May you speak to us, Lord, on this, this subject today specifically. And may you guide us and direct us to heed the warning, to hear the word. And Lord, be the people of God you want us to be, that we, our lives may exalt and magnify Jesus as your people. And so, Father, I pray that if there are those here today that don't know you as Lord and Savior, that this would be the hour of salvation. And those of us who do know you, maybe a time, Lord, where we are convicted, where we're challenged, where we're changed, we're called out by you, and, Lord, we are comforted even by your Spirit. But, Lord, may you have your way in all of our hearts and lives, that only you would have your way in us. Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. All right. So you see the outline in front of you. and we want to take a look at these things. So we see Solomon is writing here the Proverbs, words that are, that are needed to be heeded in our world today, in our culture. Man, these are so important for people to hear. And that's what he says, first off, as he looks, as we look at this passage of Scripture. The first thing that we find here is that, is that the Solomon, the, the writer of Proverbs says, be mindful of the warnings. Be mindful of the warnings. In the first several verses here, we're going to find that there are some warnings. As a matter of fact, there are four specific warnings that he gives. And he says there in verses 1 and 2, my son, pay attention. You need to listen close. Pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion. And your lips may keep knowledge. Pay attention, because listen, you need to know this. You need to preserve discretion. It needs to be within you. And so, so much in you that you're able to then share that with other people, to have the knowledge, to keep the knowledge. And your lips may keep the knowledge, to share that with other people. Pay attention. You need to know these things. And so what we find here in Proverbs 5 is that Solomon speaks these wise words of the dangers of adultery. But in reality, it deals also with all sexual activity that is outside of the sacred marriage bond. Because here is what we understand from the Word of God, that all sex outside the bonds of marriage is wrong. You say, well, Pastor, that's so old school. I mean, that, that's, that's so outdated. That's so past tense. We live in a day where people do whatever they want to do, and it's okay. Well, no, I'm here to tell you that according to the Word of God, sex within the bonds of marriage is God's plan. It's God's will. It is His best. And anything outside of the bond of marriage, sex, sexual activity is a sin and is rebellion against holy God. 
And so we see here that we have four warnings in this passage of Scripture that we need to listen to. So we need to understand that they're warnings to us about the idea of adultery and sexual immorality. And the first warning we find this is here. It's consider the end, not the beginning. If you look at verses 3 and 4 specifically, you find what he's saying here, to consider the end result and not the beginning. And let's look at what he says here. Of course, he just said, look, pay attention. You need to understand. This is important for you to know. Verse 3. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Of course, we could easily substitute here for this, this other woman for the other man as well, in our culture especially. He says, the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. Honey was the sweetest substance that was known in the Jewish household. And her mouth is smoother than oil. Oil, of course, was the smoothest substance in the Jewish household as well. Notice that he does not tell him to be careful for her attractiveness, for what she looks like, but rather to be careful of what she says and how often Adultery and sexual immorality will begin not because someone is attracted to someone by their looks, per se, but rather because of something in which they have said. They have enticed them by their speech. They have been there and talked to them in ways that nobody else has been able to talk to them. They've been there for them and talked to them. And so their words were dripping like honey. Their mouth is smoother than oil, and it has enticed them and taken them to the edge of temptation. But what we find from the Word of God is that the Bible says, look, you need to consider the end from the beginning. Before you step out into that temptation, before you cross that line, understand the end from the beginning. And we find the end in verse 4. But in the end, notice that? Look, watch out for the the lips of the immoral woman dripping honey, the mouth is smooth, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. Consider the end, not the beginning. Wormwood is the most bitter substance known to the Jewish household. And of course, a two-edged sword means it's deadly. Consider that what you think may be exciting and what you think may be sweet and what you think will be what you need to be doing with her words or his words that are dripping like honey. Understand that there is a trap that has been set by you for you by the evil one to destroy you and not to fall for the bait. Consider the end, not the beginning. You know, wouldn't it be interesting if you were to go to the airport, it it would be wise of you that if you were going to go on a destination somewhere that you would check the destination before you bought the ticket? I mean, mean, doesn't that make sense to you? I mean, if you went to the airport... And you looked out the windows there, the airport, and you saw the airplanes. And you said, man, I like that airplane over there. Ooh, that is so sleek, and the paint on that airplane is so nice. Got just the right number of wings. <laughs> it's such a beautiful plane, and, the, and listen, as the engine cranks up, it just, it purrs. And so you think, well, I'm going to get on that plane without checking the destination. You might think that you're about to take a trip to the beautiful Caribbean, but in reality, that plane is headed for Death Valley. Now, isn't it wise to be able to check the destination before you go? So that's what the, that's what the, the Proverbs are speaking to us about. 
to see the end from the beginning. Know that the destination is not where you're thinking it's going to take you. It's going to take you a bitter path that will end in death. It may seem to be sweet, and it may seem to be smooth, and it may purr like a kitten, but it's going to take you to destruction. Amen? So that's what we need to understand here. What the Bible says, consider the end from the beginning. Matter of fact, we know in Deuteronomy 32, 29, it says, Oh, that they were wise and that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. To know the end from the beginning. So consider the end, not the beginning. Then second warning we find in verse 5 and 6 is to steer clear of the crooked path. Steer clear of the crooked path. In verse 5 and 6, he says, This same immoral woman or man, if you put whatever you want to there, that her feet go down to death and her steps lay hold of hell or the grave, lest you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable and you do not know them. Solomon in the Proverbs here is warning us to steer clear of the crooked path. This path, you are not sure where this path is going to lead you, but you, but you need to be careful not to get on that path. Because it's a crooked path. It's an unstable path. And this path leads to destruction. And he says, and you do not know where this path will lead you. Now, you might think you know where this path is going to go, but you don't know where this path is going to go. You need to be careful of where your feet are taking you because it's an unstable path. And going in places where you should not be. It's like driving into a fog at a fast rate. Just because you can't see the car in front of you doesn't mean that something's not going to happen there, right? You know, Easter Sunday back in 2013 on I-77 near the North Carolina Virginia border, it was closed for hours because there had been a massive chain of accidents. I don't know if y'all remember that. It's only about five years ago now. But police later reported that there were 17 different collisions that involved 95 cars and trucks in that area. The wrecks there left three, drive, three people dead and more than two dozen injured some uh, very seriously. But the cause of the accidents was that people were driving into the thick fog that descended over that interstate that Sunday afternoon. A policeman said that the visibility at the time of the accidents occurring was down to about 100 feet or less in this fog. But people were continually continually driving blindly forward, and they could not see the danger that was just ahead until it was too late. You know, too often we will do the very same thing. We will tend to discount what may happen in the future simply because it hasn't happened yet, or we think nothing is going to happen. And so we go down this path that is an unstable path, where we do not know where it's going to lead, just flirting with the moment. Proverbs 4.26, just a few verses before this chapter, says, Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Ponder the path of your feet means to measure out or examine the path of your feet. See where you are going. Stay off the stable path unstable path, and let all your ways be established. And established means to be prepared and ready, to stay on the straight path, stay off of the unstable, the crooked path. Be careful. The Bible is teaching us to be careful of the path of temptation. Because here's the thing, is that temptation, listen, temptation 
always sings a sweet melody, but then it turns to an awful ballad. Amen? Temptation always sings the beauty and and the sweetest melody to you that, oh, this is going to be good, and oh, this is so exciting, but then it turns into an awful ballad. Stay clear of the crooked path because you do not know. You think you know, but it simply is not so. We tend to think sometimes when we look and see things around us, oh, the grass would be so much greener. People will see other ladies or other men who are not their spouses and say, ah, if I only had somebody who could talk with me like you talk with me, or there would be no problems if you and I were together, or this life would be so much better, and the grass is always greener on that other side. All would be fine, and everyone eventually, well, if we go down this path and it eventually leads to you being my partner, then everybody will eventually get over it, and, but you understand me and you talk to me, but then what you don't know is it all is not fine and will not be fine. What seems to be the grass greener on that side, the truth is that he's still going to throw his clothes on the ground. And she's always going to be disgruntled, and you're never going to talk. And it's not what you're thinking it was supposed to be. Steer clear of the crooked path. Y'all with me this morning? Listen to the warnings of the Word of God of all sexual immorality and adultery, all things that fall under that umbrella, to make sure that you consider the end from the beginning and make sure that you um, uh, steer clear of the crooked path. And then thirdly, the third warning is linger not. Linger not, verse 7 8. Therefore, hear me now, my children, And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Linger not. Get away from there. You depart from her house, depart from her door, but don't depart from the words of my mouth according to the word of God. He's saying don't go near the door. Don't give Satan an inch. Don't see how close that you can get before stepping over the line. Stay away. Linger not at the door of temptation. Too often people will flirt with the the idea and they will uh, talk to people and, and ease over to them. It may not be to their house, to the door of temptation there. It may be to the cubicle or it may be to the water cooler or maybe through a text or an email. Beloved, the Bible says, don't linger at the door of temptation. And if you find, I have no idea who would be doing what in this, in this congregation, in our church. But I'm here to tell you that if that's you, if you're, at, if you're close to the door of evil, you're close to crossing over that line, here's the word of God this morning for you. Break it off and cut it out. Close down the communication. Put up the firewall. Get an accountability partner. If it's your computer, use covenant eyes on your computer or something like it. But listen, do whatever it takes to linger not at the door of her who will take you to destruction. The Bible says it this way, flee. That's not E-A, it's E-E, right? Flee, run, 
1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee sexual immorality. And 2 Timothy 2, 22 says, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness and faith, love, peace, and those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but linger not. And then there's a fourth warning here that we find when someone gives in to sexual immorality, to adultery. And here's the fourth warning. There are common sense consequences. If you go down this path, the Bible says, if you go down this path, there's some things that are going to happen. And if you want to sum those up in verses 9 through 14, I'm not going to read all those together, but break them up individually. But if you used to sum all of those up, these common sense consequences, this is what's going to happen, summed up in two words. You ready for the summation here? Common sense consequences, you lose. You lose. I mean, you, let's look at the Bible. Let's look at what it says here in just a few minutes. In verses 9 through 14. But before I do that, let me, let me th- think about something for a moment. You know, what's the most expensive thing in the world? Well, let's see. Okay, what could be the most expensive thing in the world? Don't Google it right now because I want your attention here, right? Because I have not done it. I don't know what it is. But, but just think about it. Okay, could it be the Buckingham Palace? That's got to be expensive. Maybe it's a, the... A, cruise ship, you know, if, you, if you were to buy a cruise ship, maybe that's the most expensive thing, or maybe it's an island somewhere. But you know, the truth of the matter is, those things are not the most expensive thing in the world. Do you know what the most expensive thing in the world is? Sin. Because it is the most costly. Amen? The most expensive thing in the world is sin. Ah, but the devil makes it look so sweet. Instead of freedom that he thinks that he tells us it offers, it is bondage. Instead of a life of ease, there is misery. Instead of riches, there is poverty. Instead of a life well lived, there is a life full of regret. You lose. And sexual immorality and adultery. Common sense consequences, you lose. Look at verse 9. What do you lose here? It says, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. What do you lose? You lose honor. That means you lose respect. And you lose years. You lose years to the cruel one. You lose years. In other words, time is thrown away that you could have spent with your family. Time is thrown away that you could have spent following the Lord. Time is, is thrown away. Years are thrown away making wise choices. You lose Respect, you lose years, you lose time. Verse 10, what do you lose here? It says, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Aliens are foreigners, are strangers. Strangers be filled with your wealth. So you lose what? You lose wealth. You lose your money. In adultery and sexual immorality, strangers get your money. Well, how do strangers get my money? Well, it could be through blackmail. It could be through heavy spending on your adulterous lover. It could be through lawyers. They get your money. And it says, and labors go to the house of a foreigner. Labors to foreigners. You lose what you've worked for. You lose. Verses 11 through 13, watch this. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I've hated instruction and my heart has despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who have instructed me. What does that say? Well, it says, look, when you come to your deathbed, When you come to the point where your flesh and your body are consumed, what are you going to lose there? Let me tell you what you lose. You lose the ability to look back on your life without regret. 
and with a sincere satisfaction over your life. You lose. Verse 14, what do you lose here? I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. What do you lose? You lose your reputation. You have ruin. You have public disgrace. Now understand that indeed you can repent of sin. And know that we have a God who is gracious and who forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Praise God for His grace. But you also need to understand that when there is this type of adultery, sexual immorality, that there will always be that sense of honor and reputation that cannot be returned to you that you have lost. You know, I could name people in the spotlight, you know, like politicians or preachers even from a long time ago that may have done some good in their life, but if they have fallen to sexual sin, when you mention their, word, their name, what is it that you first remember about them? You remember their disgrace. You remember how they were ruined by that. Listen to the warnings of God. Wise words about marriage. Be mindful of the warnings. Consider the end from the beginning. Steer clear of the crooked path. Stay on the straight path. Linger not, and there are common sense consequences where you lose. Second point. Not only be mindful of the warnings, but then mature the marriage without wavering. Love your spouse. Grow your marriage invest in your marriage. Y'all with me this morning? Come on now. So I love the way the Word of God works. I mean, he tells us, here's where you need to stay away from. Here's where you need to get away from this stuff. You need to make sure you stay away from sexual immorality. You need to stay away from the adulterous woman or the adulterous man. But here's what, that's the negative, but here's the positive thing you need to do. And the positive thing is to make sure that you're maturing or growing your marriage without wavering. You be committed to your husband and your, or your wife. And so the two things here, first is love your spouse alone. Love your spouse alone. In verse 15 through 17, he says, Drink water from your own cistern, and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own, and not for strangers. If you notice some words there, your own. Matter of fact, these words here are very R-rated in the Word of God. Verse 20, For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? You see, the Bible is very clear. He's saying, look, God has given you your spouse. And so stay away from the immoral man, the immoral woman, and love your spouse and only your spouse, your own, your own spouse. Not the immoral woman, not the immoral man, not the seductress, but to find the satisfaction of your desires, your physical desires, find the satisfaction of your physical desires in one place with your spouse. That's what the Bible says. He says, not your neighbor's spouse, 
Not your fiancé or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Not an image on the screen. Not anywhere else. But you find the satisfaction of your physical desires with your spouse in marriage. You love your spouse alone. And then you love your spouse always. Look at verse 18 and 19. He says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. The Bible says, look, you are to grow your love for each other. Don't try to go after somebody else. Run toward the one that God has given you. That's what the Bible is talking about here. To love and rejoice with the spouse of your youth. To be tender and to be affectionate with each other as husband and wife. He says, look, he says, always be enraptured with her love. You know what that means? Let me tell you all what that means. That means to be intoxicated. So intoxicated by your spouse that it staggers you. Now, that's what we're talking about. That's what God's word says about you and your spouse. Amen? To be intoxicated, to be enraptured by the love of your wife, being staggered by her or him, and be exhilarated that this love is to be intoxicating to both of you. Understand that sex and sexuality is a beautiful thing in the bonds of marriage. That God intends for sex and sexuality for it to be a means of procreation where we have children. But it's also a God-given gift for enjoyment for a husband and a wife. And so what the Bible is saying is to run toward your spouse. To love them alone and to love them always. To run toward them, not to the door that leads to destruction, but run toward loving your spouse more. Man, where we would be as a culture if people would run toward loving their spouses like Jesus has taught us to love. Amen? And to be committed to our spouses, to be committed to each other. You know, if you were to think of marriage especially as we think about how we're bombarded in our culture today, saying it's okay to go here, to go there, to do whatever you want to. That's not God's standard. But as you think, if you were to think about marriage as a river, and you know that on every river there are two banks to the river, right? And if the river gets above those banks, it goes beyond the banks, it becomes a swamp. So you want the river to stay within the banks of the river, right? So as you think about a river being your marriage, if one of the banks of the river is your commitment to Jesus Christ and the other bank is your commitment to your spouse, man, that river is going to stay strong, isn't it? It's going to stay within the bounds. It's going to be a beautiful thing. And here's the thing is that as the river continues to move and flow is that the river becomes powerful and deep. And that's the kind of marriages we want, isn't it? To be marriages that are powerful for the glory of God and that have depth to them. That's what God has made us to be as husbands and wives. So grow the marriage 
without wavering. Be committed to each other. Love your spouse alone. Love your spouse always. Grow in your love with each other that all through the years produces a power and a depth that is all for the glory of God. Then thirdly, we find this. their motivations against wickedness. So he gives us the warnings here. Then he tells us how we to turn that positive and move toward loving our wives, love our spouses more. And then we find the, okay, so if you're still not convinced, here's some motivations against being wicked. Here's some motivations against this wickedness of sexual immorality. And the first one, there's three of them. The first one is he sees it all. The first motivation against wickedness, he sees it all. Verse 21, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The Lord knows it all. He knows everything. Nothing is hidden from his sight. He ponders it. He weighs it out. He examines. He observes. The paths that you take, the things in which you do, the the ways in which you go, the thoughts in which you think, are examined by the Lord. Wow. He examines it all. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. Numbers 32, 23, in the middle of that verse, it says, You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. Oh, pastor, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that. I mean, if God knows, who cares if God knows? It's kind of dangerous for you to be thinking like that. But here's the thing. If you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, and you fall prey to these temptations, and you give in to sexual immorality, adultery, and maybe God is the only one who knows, but here's what I know about God, is that you can pretty well guarantee that God may be the only one who knows, but he's going to make it so that somebody else knows too. Chances are somebody else will find out about it as well. Be assured your sin will find you out. Hebrews 4.13 says, There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, you may not care that God knows or not, but here's what you better think about, is that one day you're going to stand before him. All of us are going to stand before him, and we're going to give an accounting for our life. He sees it all. That's quite a motivation against wickedness. Wouldn't you say amen? Amen. Second one is this. Not only does he see it all, but you need to also understand that the net is set. The net is set in verse 22. His own iniquities, our own iniquities, entrap the wicked man. And he is caught in the cords of his sin. Your sin, that this temptation is a trap that you're going to get caught up in. And this, this net is already set for you. You need to know that the enemy wants nothing more but to trap you and to destroy you. Know there is a trap. Know the net is set. And then in verse 23, not only that he sees it all, the net is set, but know this, is that the end is death. Verse 23, and he shall die for lack of instruction. In the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. The end is death. Beloved, listen. Adultery, sexual immorality, 
is not just naughty. It's not just foolish. It's not just disappointing. But all sexual immorality is sin against holy God. And it is deadly. And it is violent. And it is painful to those who are around you. And it tears at the fabric of God's perfect design. Now, people today will laugh and they'll think, well, you know, it's no big deal. You know, pretty soon people will forget all about this and, and what I have done. It's my life. I'll do whatever I want. I'll be able to go on in life with my new partner and all will be well. God does not forget. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, be, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You see, the end of sexual immorality is death. Come on, pastor, not really. People don't die when they have sexual immorality or commit adultery. People don't die. But what if they did? You'd think twice about it, wouldn't you? And the truth of the matter is, is that there is death. You say, well, how is that so? Well, if you're a believer, you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've trusted him by faith, and you find yourself in this situation where you've committed adultery, you've committed sexual immorality, maybe you're not being repentant of that. If you're not being repentant of that, then you need to check to see if you really belong to the Lord Jesus. But if you claim that you know the Lord Jesus as Savior, then you may enter heaven but you may enter it quicker than what you were thinking. But until that time, you need to understand that what you endure until that time, you will think is hell. Because there will be death to your reputation and death to your honor and death to a family and death to a marriage and death to your witness but if you're an unbeliever, there's death that comes. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, and you've never trusted him by faith, your day will come when you will enter into eternal death, eternal judgment in a real place, an everlasting place that's called hell, where the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. Don't think that your sin can be covered up. Don't think it can be hidden. Don't think that it can be justified. Hear the word of God and repent or perish. Be delivered or be destroyed. And then fourthly, measure your walk. Maybe you're here and, and you've heard the message and the whole time you've been saying, Boy, I sure hope they heard this. Boy, I'm going to get this CD, and I'm going to point somebody to this website, and I'm going to make sure they listen to this, because they really need to hear this. Because I'm not guilty of any of this. Well, as we think about that, you know, the truth is that all of us, all of us, have been affected by someone that we know or that we knew in our realm of relationships who have had an affair or committed adultery or gave in to some type of sexual immorality. And when you heard that news about that person, what did that do to you? Likely it was, at the very least, it was disappointing. 
but more likely it was devastating. How did it make you feel to know that someone who was supposed to be faithful to the one who loved them went after someone else? That a commitment had been made, yes, even a sacred covenant had been made, and they threw it all away for a different lover. It crushes us when we hear that. You say, well, that's, that's true, Pastor, but I'm not an adulterer. Great. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 4.26, again, measure your walk. We looked at this verse a few minutes ago where he says, Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Ponder, examine, measure out your walk, the path of your feet. Let your ways be prepared. Let them be established. You see, friends, listen. You may be closer to adultery or sexual immorality than what you think. Jesus said that if anyone has lusted after someone, that you've committed adultery in your heart. So we let the Spirit of God speak to us and warn us, but also realize this fact. That is that we are all, all, all of us are adulterers. Spiritual adulterers. James 4, 4, the Bible says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, that whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? You see, our God is a jealous God, and he loves us. This week in my devotional reading, I was thinking of, you know, reading through Ezekiel in chapter 6. As I came to verse 9, it, it really spoke to my heart about the emotional aspect of our God who loves us. Because we are guilty oftentimes of going after other lovers than the lover of Jesus Christ. We go after the loves of this world instead of going after the love of God. And I read in Ezekiel 6 verse 9 as he was speaking through Ezekiel the prophet about his children Israel and how they were going after idols. And he says, because I was crushed by their adulterous heart which has departed from me, and by their eyes which play the harlot after their idols. God was crushed because of their adulterous heart going after the idols of the world and not staying faithful to him who loves them so much. A covenant, a commitment had been made by one who loved them so, and yet they went after someone else. And beloved, listen, we do the very same thing. Whenever we let anything take the place of our God, when we let anyone, anything, any item, our work, our money, our checkbook, whatever it may be, our recreation, anything that takes priority over the Lord Jesus Christ, we are committing adultery with our God. So here's the question. What are the things of this world that you're flirting with? What are the areas where you are being unfaithful to the one who loves you so much that he died for you on the cross? You know, the Bible says here in Proverbs 5, 8, he says to remove your way far from her. Don't go to the, near the door of her house. Whatever those things are that you're flirting with, that is taking you away from being in love with Jesus and staying true to him, stay away, get away from there, and turn back to him. Stay away from those things that lead you astray from your faithfulness to the Lord. So which way are you running? Are you running the wrong way? 
Have you ever heard of Wrong Way Roy Regals? There is a guy. Watch this, 25 seconds, watch this. The most famous play by a center in Rose Bowl history led to defeat for his team. The 1929 game, Cal's Roy Regals recovered a fumble and ran 65 yards the wrong way before a teammate wrestled him to the ground at the one. A block punt led to a safety, an 8-7 Georgia Tech win, and a dubious place in history for Roy Regals. Wrong way, Roy Regals. Almost 90 years ago, and we can still hear about a man running the wrong way in a football game. Here's a question for you. 90 years from now, what will your children and grandchildren be able to say about you? Were you running the right way or running the wrong way? Did you run hard after Jesus? Did you run so that you loved your spouse alone and always? Which way are you running? There's a right way and there's a wrong way. Run hard after the Lord. And run hard after your spouse to love them. Amen. To love them. To be intoxicated by their love. This is God's best. This is God's will. Don't run the wrong way because running toward Jesus and not the things of the world. You know, run toward Jesus, not the things of this world because the things of the world, if you run toward the things of the world, it will leave you with a reputation you don't want. And run toward your marriage and not the other man, not the other woman because the other man, the other woman will leave you with a reputation that you don't want. So three things to do. Number one, repent. Repent. Our God is a gracious God. And I don't know where you are in your walk with him. I don't know where you are in your relationship with your spouse. I have no idea. But I do know this. Is it because of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross of Calvary? He loves you. And that there is hope and there is healing for all who repent and who turn to Jesus Christ. He makes all things new. But you come to him in humble repentance, trusting him by faith, asking him to give you what you need to live for him, to love him, and to love your spouse. If you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, it comes with that first step of faith, of trusting him by faith. As you acknowledge him, the Lord and Savior of your life, Believing he is who God said he is, the son of God, dying on the cross for you, rising again bodily from the grave, professing him as the Lord and Savior of your life. For those of us who are believers, who know Jesus, but yet oftentimes we fail. We, maybe you're here and you haven't committed adultery sexually, but more than likely all of us have committed adultery spiritually. And our God is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness if we'll come to him and repent. So repent. Secondly, to do, run. Run. Don't run yet, but run, all right? I'm telling you to run. Preacher, do you know how old I am? I can't run anymore. I'm telling you to run. I'm telling you to run, but the different kind of run. Run from sin. Run from those areas of temptation. Run from sin and run to Jesus. 
and run to your spouse. Run. Run from sin to Jesus and to your spouse. And then thirdly, renew your love. Will you today renew your love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you be honest with him today and say, Lord, I have flirted with the things of this world for too long. There are places in my life where I have been unfaithful to you and committed adultery because of my love for the things of this world and not loved you first and foremost. Will you help me to love you like I'm supposed to and renew your love for the Lord Jesus? And then secondly, will you also renew your love for your spouse? Will you take your wife or your husband by the hand and as you leave here today, may you say to her or him, I'm still intoxicated by you. Amen? Come on now. And renew your love for your spouse. Let's pray. Father, may you guide our hearts to love you and to love our spouses the way you've spelled it out for us. If there is any who are here today who are right on the edge of stepping across to the door of temptation whatever that may look like, I pray that the message today will have convicted and challenged and changed their minds and their hearts. And that at this very moment, they're running from sin and running to you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray also that you'd be with each of us to renew our love for you. I know that as we come to this invitation, Father, there'll be some who'd say, I'm not going down front today because people think I've committed adultery. But the truth of the matter is, Father, that every single person in this room should be at the altar today because we have all committed spiritual adultery with you. We have allowed the things of this world to entice us and speak smooth words to us, and it drips like honey. But what we have found is that the things of this world are bitter, and their end is death. God, I pray that we would run from those things today and run to you. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are wonderful. You are our friend and you are our groom. And we love you. Lord, revive us, refresh us, and renew us by your power, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand as we sing. You come. God has dealt with your heart today.